Thanks tonight is, is primarily to uh, the young ladies in our church. And that is a very targeted audience. I suppose that I could just bring them all and sit them up on the front row and dismiss the rest of you and uh, just talk to them. But I, I do think that tonight that though I, what I have to say is to them, that it can be for everyone. Uh, certainly if you are a parent and you have girls, you would be interested. If you're a girl, you would be interested. If you're a guy that's interested in girls, then you should be interested in what I'm getting ready to say as well. Um, grandparents. It's, so I, I, and so though, though it is targeted, it, it is still broad as well. And uh, there, there's so many things that I want to say and could say, but I'm trying to move things along is what I'm trying to do. And so tonight I will spend just a little bit of time talking about young ladies. And then next week I'm going to move into marriage and say some things about marriage and go from there. You know, every once in a while there's philosophies and ideas that come along. And just because they're new doesn't mean that they're always necessarily wrong. Though I, I do have a healthy dose of suspicion for new ideas, new philosophies. I, I'm an old soul and you know, we, we live in a, in a climate now, and I was talking to Brother Cadenhead about this the other night, that we live in a climate now that the preacher, he has to be very discreet, circumspect, very measured in what he says and how he says it. Our services are live streamed. Uh, they are live streamed through YouTube and through our website. And then, sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes we then turn around and archive that. We don't archive everything, but sometimes we do it. So people all over listen to it. I don't have many, but, but there, there is, um, there, there are some people that listen to your sermons, not to learn, but for the express purpose of critiquing. Yeah. And we live in a climate, we live in a day and age where you can make a statement and somebody lift that statement out of context and you can become the Monday evening news with that. Now, now you, don't, you don't back down from what you believe, but you have to think through how you say things. Uh, for example, this morning, a tough passage, servants, masters, um, and some, very easily somebody to misread what you're saying. And so I, I try to think through through every statement that I make. I, I, don't, I don't do anything off the cuff, except right now, this is off the cuff. Uh, but, I, but, I, but I think that you've got to think through that. Um, th there, are, there are people out there that their intent is to try their best to paint you as a fool and try to destroy any influence that you might have. And I'm well aware of that. And tonight would be a wonderful opportunity for somebody to do that. Because what I'm going to say tonight is so antithetical to the worldview that we live in. And I'm fine with that. I'm okay with that. And um, I, I just, I just, I really believe that in order to be a Christian, to be a biblical, I mean a true Christian, that then you are going to have to be opposite of this world. You, you are not going to be cultural and Christian at the same time. It's just, it's just not going to happen. And so we're dealing with the home, and we believe that the home is the primary place of Christian instruction. 
And then the church comes along and supports the godly discipline of children and, and the marriage. Children with a good church, but not a strong home, are at a disadvantage. Just like children with a strong home, but not a good church, are at a disadvantage as well. There is a movement that has taken off in the last couple of years. I don't know how old it is, but there is a movement that is catching on. It's called the Family Integrated Worship Movement. And it says that, that children should never be segregated from their parents in worship, so you would not have any age-based Sunday school, no children's church, no youth groups, things of that. In the auditorium, children should always be seated with their parents in church, family integrated worship. And there are some good points that they make. I believe that they take it too far because they make it a mandate that is not actually a Bible mandate. I can preach my preferences to you, but not as a Bible mandate. I can say I prefer this. I I think that this is best, but I can't say the Bible says that or you're disobeying the Bible if you don't do it my way. So there's a lot of lingo that you hear that sounds good, but the conclusions and the applications are taken too far. And I'm glad that we have a church that supports the home and that we have homes that support the church and that they work in tandem. We do not have a huge emphasis in our church on the youth group. In fact, we don't have a youth pastor. We have people that do things with the youth, you know, whoever we can beg to do something with the teenagers, you know, kicking and screaming. But uh, no, I'm kidding. But we don't place a big emphasis on the youth group. We don't have a name for them. And, 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 we, and we do things and we're going to have a scavenger hunt on Saturday. And that is going to be a bucket of fun. And you're going to have a wonderful time. And, and, and the reason why is because it is not the youth group's responsibility to raise your children. It's your responsibility. The church supports that, but the church had never replaced the home. We, we have Master's Club, and they were up here a couple of weeks ago. Boy, that was a wonderful thing. I think that Master's Club is going to reap great benefits for us long term. I, I really, really believe that. When you have children that are excited about memorizing Bible verses and doing Bible projects, that, that is a great thing. And I encourage you to get your children involved and let them excel in that and work with them. But Master's Club does not replace the home. If all that they get is when they come to Master's Club, that's not going to work. Not going to work. And so you have to have both of them together. So tonight, Titus chapter 2, I want you to look at a couple of verses and say a couple of things tonight. We'll speak now the things which become sound doctrine, that the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, in charity, and patience. The aged women likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things. That they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. Young men likewise exhort to be sober-minded. So I've spent considerable time addressing the young men in our church, and tonight it is the girls' time. And because girls are dainty and pretty and nice and smell good, you think that they are not as difficult as the boys. Until you have one. Isn't that right, Brother Rick? <laughs> Brother Billy and Sister Ruth Ann Amos, and they are um, they're expecting... 
Are they in here tonight? Are they in here? They're expecting, and they are having a little girl, and they're so excited because um, they have a boy, and uh, he is all boy, 100% boy. And, and if you ever get a strong-willed child on your hands, sometimes a strong-willed child will question or test your sanity. I laughed the other day when my wife said that Ruth Ann was so excited that she was getting a girl because she expects the girl to be so much easier than the boy. And that is downright funny. <laughs> because I had a girl. And my girl was twice the problem that both boys were. But what was really fun to me was when that girl grew up and she had a girl. That was just like her. That was a blessing. But then God really smiled on me and gave them another girl that really ups the ante in the hard-headed, strong-willed department. And now they're going to have a boy. And I fully expect that boy to be just like Andrew. Docile, soft-spoken, <laughs> even-keeled, mild. But you know, girls bring their own challenges along with them. Girls are more expensive. The bigger they get, the more expensive that they are. You have to buy things for girls that boys do not need. Girls are more emotional. Girls cry for no reason. It's Tuesday. This is the day that we cry. And girls have bad days and they need to take you to take them on dates and tell them that they're a precious princess and you have to keep doing that thing. That's just what you have to do with girls. But just as there is biblical manhood, there is biblical womanhood. And I will caution you, as I have already, that God's ideal for a young lady becoming a mature woman is more countercultural than anything that you have ever read. I don't know of anything that is more politically incorrect, more antithetical to how the world thinks that God's idea of our young ladies. In fact, the Bible, what the Bible teaches is such an outdated model that even a lot of churches shrink at it and wonder, is this really still for the 21st century? We come to Titus chapter 2, and I am well aware that I preached this passage on Mother's Day of last year. So I am limited how that I can go through it again so soon. But I did not want to go to Proverbs tonight because I'm Proverbs on Wednesday night, so I didn't want to say anything about the strange woman. I'm not going to say anything about Proverbs 31. I'll deal with that, but I am in Proverbs. But what you have in Titus chapter 2 is I God's picture, ideal picture, for a young lady. She lives holy in an unholy world. She speaks gracefully in an ungraceful world. She is disciplined in an undisciplined world. She is godly in an ungodly world. She is modest in an immodest world. She pursues homemaking in a hostile world. She is kind in a harsh world. She is submissive in a rebellious world. That's what you find God's desire for all of these young ladies. You know, in the text, I would divide it this way. First of all, there is a pattern to follow. You probably already noticed that the instruction to young men and young ladies in this passage is handed down from the older to the younger. If you look at verse number two, it mentions the aged men. Verse three, the aged women. Verse four, they teach the young women. Verse number six, young men. 
And so the principle that the older teaches the younger, that is actually a principle that is found many times in the Bible. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 2. The things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. And the idea is that faith and wisdom is to be a generational thing. It is passed down like a family heirloom from generation to generation to generation. We strive to do that in our homes. We strive to do that in our church. Many of you are second generation Christians. You are third generation Christians, which means that you have been handed a faith that does not imply that you are a Christian because you come from a Christian home. But I hope that you see your faith, what you have. I hope that you see that as a treasure that has been given to you. Now, when it comes to instructing young men and young women about the roles that God has designed for them and how to conduct themselves, there are several ways that you can do that. For example, there are books back there in the bookstore that have great wisdom for men and for, and for young ladies as well. However, most wisdom in great books goes unread by the digital generation. Nobody reads books anymore. Then there is the pulpit ministry of the church. I do my best to preach what is biblical. I do my best to be balanced in my preaching. However, I know that 80% of what I say in the pulpit is either not heard or forgotten as soon as the service is over. I am fully aware of that. So the method that Paul exhorts Titus to encourage is that of older to younger instruction. I, I am not discounting preaching, but there's only so much that a preacher can say in the pulpit. There has to be instruction outside of the pulpit. It is not the duty of just a preacher to give instructions. That duty is placed upon the older men and the older women in the church. It is the older men taking the younger men under their arms. It is the older ladies spending time with the younger ladies. Now, obviously, the primary place of this ought to be in the home. The home is not where you all sit around in the evening and watch TV and the kids are in the bedroom with the door closed on some kind of video game. And most homes are like that. And, and there's no interaction and there's no conversation and there's no time together and, and there's no prayer. There's nothing like that. And by the way, it becomes very painfully obvious when you bring your children out into the public that there hasn't been much instruction in the home. I'm not preaching on parenting tonight, but, but I could. But what better place for a young lady to learn how to be a godly wife and a homemaker and a lady of discretion by watching her own mother every day in the home. And then that instruction is buttressed by the preaching and the teaching in the church. Just recently, Jacob, and I thought he would announce it tonight, he'll announce it Wednesday. But Jacob and Isaiah have just started a Bible study with young men, I think on Friday evenings, and they get together and they're reading a book and they discuss the book together and then they play laser tag or they play some game together. And we're getting ready to start that with the young ladies as well. I don't think they're going to play laser tag and it's not Jacob and Isaiah going to do it, but we're going to start the same idea for the girls. And I think that our girls would enjoy it and it would emphasize something that God naturally puts in their heart, the desire to be a mother and a wife. And it's my burden for our church to facilitate that more than we have. The older teaching the younger. There's an interesting passage. If you'll hold this place, go to Numbers chapter number eight. I, I saw this study in something else and I, I thought, oh, this really applies right here. But look at Numbers chapter eight and verse number 23. 
Numbers 8 and verse number 23, the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, This is it that belongeth unto the Levites. From twenty and five years old and upward, they shall go in to wait upon the service of the tabernacle of the congregation. And from the age of fifty years, they shall cease waiting upon the service thereof, and shall serve no more, but shall minister with their brethren in the tabernacle of the congregation to keep the charge and shall do no service. Now, now these are instructions to the Levites regarding their service in the tabernacle. They have daily ministrations and they take turns or courses throughout the year when they are to come and serve. And a Levite officially began to serve in the tabernacle at age 25. But at age 50, he turns it over to a younger man. Then in verse 26, he is to serve alongside the younger man instructing him and teaching him and training him how to do the actual work. Now, now you can extrapolate a lot of things out of that passage that's not meant to be there. You can't serve in the church till you're 25. When you're 50, you have to sit down. That, that's not what it's talking about. But what it is talking about is the older man teaches the younger how to keep the charge. You might be an older person and you can't do everything that you used to do and that's fine. It doesn't mean that you're done. Spend your energy Training your replacement, teaching somebody else to do. In fact, at, at, at 39, I am I am myself slowing down just a little bit, and and I don't I don't want to do everything that I used to do. I don't know if it's laziness or if it age is age or it's because I'm fat or whatever it is. But there are just some things that I don't want to do, and so I say, hey, you go do that. Well, that's what's happening there. It's the younger teaching, or the older teaching the younger. So we come back to our text in Titus chapter two. And it says in verse number four that they teach the young women. And the reason why a lot of homes are breaking apart is because the young wife is learning how to be a wife from the wrong place. Talk shows and soap operas and, and hedonistic humanist magazines. And no wonder they don't know how to be a godly wife. And you know, sometimes you have a young lady who didn't grow up in a godly home. She did not have that as a model. And she simply does not know how to discipline her children. She does not know how to keep a house. And she would be wise to find a mentor and listen to her. There's a pattern to follow. But then in verse 4 and 5, there, is, there are principles to convey. Verse 4. That they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blessing. Now, when I read this passage of scripture and was looking at it, it blessed my heart. And here's the way it blessed my heart is to think that we have a church that has godly young ladies who model the character of these verses. I, I, I was thought I'd have got amens out of that, but maybe we don't. I, now, granted, none of these young ladies live in my home. Okay, I don't spend any time with them. And maybe if I did, I would change my mind. But from a distance, from a distance, my experience is that we have young ladies in our church that want to be what God has designed for them. Uh, Brother Eric, if he was here, he would say, be saying amen right now. I, I miss him. So, so you help me just a little bit, all right? But they embrace what God wants and what the world expects of you is radically different and they are okay with that. 
And and what I just read in verse 4 and 5, you will not find in a supermarket magazine or talk shows or or any social media. This kind of life demands a break from the thinking of the world around you. So let me break it down for you. There is, first of all, the priority of relationships. Look at verse number 4. That they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children. Now, I'm not preaching on marriage tonight, all right? I, I'm not preaching on marriage, not yet. But I want to point out to you, girls, that the list is very domesticated. This is not what the modern, liberal, lesbian, feminist espouses. This is a young lady who is being taught to love her husband when she gets one. To love her children when she has some. Did you, know, did you know that a girl gets married, she has to learn how to love her husband? You think you love him. But you ain't moved in with him yet. Okay? Somebody said that the day you get married, you choose your love. After that, you learn to love your choice. Huh? There's a lot of wisdom in that. Huh? It's interesting in our, that in our culture that we fall in love and get married. In most cultures, marriages are arranged, and then you have to learn to love the one that you got married to. Yeah. Now, now, now we, we would prefer it our way. We, we recoil at that. Fall in love first. But I will tell you that it becomes harder our way to base your love on commitment and not just feelings. Most young people get married, they get married because of a feeling. Here's the problem. When the feeling goes away, then you want to go away. Right? And, 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 and again, we recoil at that. We, we like the way that we do it better. But our world really has a really bad track record at marriage. You see, a great definition of biblical love is unconditional commitment to an imperfect person. It is not your love that sustains your commitment. It is your commitment that sustains your love. Now this assumes that you might get married and you bear children. God doesn't always allow that. So so I'm going to take the principle, I'm going to apply it to all ladies, whether married or not, whether mothers or not. And here is the principle. It is that you bring love into your relationships. And you don't express love with emotionalism and Valentine's Day hearts and sweet notes. That's not the expression of love. The ultimate expression of love is service and sacrifice. You can tell somebody that you love them all day long, but but what have you done for them that goes beyond mere words? So this is not telling you to have butterflies in your stomach when he walks into the room. This is not about emotions, but you give yourself in sacrifice and service to those that you do love. Now, why is that important? Why do you have to be told to love your husband and your children? Are you ready for this? Because they're not always lovable. They're not always lovely. You think that you're going to marry the perfect man. I promise you, you're not. You think that your children are going to be perfect. I promise you, they are not going to be. And there are going to be times when that man that you married, Prince Charming, is going to be rude and harsh and angry. He's not always going to be the knight on the white horse that you thought that it was. And those kids are going to push you to the brink of sanity. And you are going to want to go get drunk or at least run away. Amen. It's just going to happen. 
It has nothing to do with the quality of man that you made or the level of obedience that you have instilled in your children. And we, we know that Christ is our example in life. We, we look at Christ in the Gospels and we see that as our pattern of conduct. He came to ministry, came to serve, he came to give the ultimate sacrifice of his life for our salvation. And the love and grace that he showed to us is the love and grace that we are to show to others. The Apostle Paul tells godly ladies that the primary arena of you showing love is in your home. Well, I just love all the starving children in Africa. No, you don't. You don't know them. They're too far. It's too remote. It's too distant. Here's what you do. You start with the people that are closest to you. You start with the inner circle and then you work your way out. You look at your husband and you look at your children and you say, right here is where God wants me to shower with unselfish love. I'm going to serve them. I'll make any sacrifice for them. And the feminist says that you need to love yourself, that you need to watch out for yourself. And the fruit of self-love is an unfulfilled marriage and divorce and a mother who kills her own children abortion. That's the fruit of self-love. And maybe that husband is not always worthy of your love. Just like you're not always worthy of the love of Christ. But we show the love of Christ to those that we are closest to with the same love that Christ loves us with. So there's the priority of relationships. You say, well, I don't, I don't have a husband to love. No. But you cultivate that love. You cultivate that sacrifice. You cultivate that spirit to those who are in your life. And here's the reason why I say that. You can't be an angry, selfish, rebellious woman and expect a good, good character the day you get married. No, you bring love and you, you learn to love and sacrifice now. And that's the character that you bring into the marriage. You cultivate the spirit of Christ now. And when God gives you husband and when God gives you children, they then become the objects of your love. But you don't learn to love them. That spirit will transform your marriage from the very beginning. So there's the priority of relationship. That's easy. But then look, there's the priority of righteousness. Look at verse 5. To be discreet. And chaste. I want to bring a couple of more verses into it. Flip back to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. We'll tie a few verses together. 1 Peter 2 and verse number 9. In like manner also. That women adorn themselves in modest apparel. With shamefacedness and sobriety. Not with broided hair or gold or pearls or costly array. Now go forward to 1 Peter chapter 3. Hebrews, 1 Peter. Go all the way to 1 Peter chapter 3. Look at verse 3. Whose adorning let it not be that outward adorning of plating the hair and of wearing of gold or putting on of apparel. But let it be the hidden man of the heart and that which is not corruptible. Even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. So in these verses that I've read to you, you have discreet, chaste, modest, shamefacedness, sobriety, adorning yourself. And there is something said in these verses about your peril, your attitude, and your appearance. It's how you carry yourself in public. It is how you dress. It's how you draw attention to yourself. And words that we associate with a godly young lady is grace, charm, modesty, purity. That's what you are supposed to be. Now, there are two ways tonight that you exhibit those qualities that the Bible talks about. The first one is in your demeanor, your attitude, how you treat other people. 
how you carry yourself. And so I say to our young ladies tonight that you ought to want to be a lady in every sense of the word. Now you can play sports, you can be a tomboy, whatever. But God made women to be more delicate, more more sensitive, more refined, more sophisticated, more more cultured, more graceful. I, I believe that. God gave you the gift of adding beauty to the world. To make this world a kinder and a more loving place. Can you imagine the world of all men? Well, we'd kill each other off by the first year. That's as long as we would last. But God gave us you. And a lady should grace the presence of a place just when she walks in. She adds a kindness to her domain. That's what she does. I, I, be, I bemoan, I, I bemoan that we have become a crass culture. We have lost the art of etiquette, chivalry, uh, good manners, grace, uh, uh, courtesy. We don't even know how to say thank you. We don't know how to say please anymore. And we don't open the door for ladies and they don't thank you if you do. All right, that's where we live in. First Peter 3 and verse 8, finally, be all of one mind, having compassion one of another. Love us, brethren, be pitiful, be courteous. Be courteous. That's a good word. It? Well, the world that we live in is crude and it's coarse and it's insensitive and it's inconsiderate. But God places you in this world to help refine it. Refine. Webster's 1828 Dictionary, the word lady, it is a woman of refinement and good manners. I'm talking about your demeanor, how you carry yourself. You know, they used to teach manners and etiquette in school. They did. They used to have classes on it, manners and etiquette. And young ladies, young, and young men too, but young ladies especially were taught to be refined. I put it down where you can understand it. No guy wants to marry a girl who burps and picks her teeth and scratches her belly button you know, no guy is looking for that. Ladies do not gulp their drinks. They don't chew with their mouth open. They cover their mouth if they have to say something and there's food in their mouth. I, I, I'm, just, I'm just saying that, that there's some grace, there's some etiquette, there's some, there's some sophistication to that. Now, i help you out with girls. i just get really right down here to the girls. One day, a guy is going to want to take you out to dinner. And he's going to have absolutely no idea how to behave himself. Now, if he takes you to McDonald's, there are no rules of refinement for McDonald's. <laughs> However, he may save his money up for a few weeks and take you to a nice restaurant. He may take you somewhere like Olive Garden. Now, now I promise you he will not know one thing that I'm getting ready to tell you, but there are some things that a young lady should know. They used to teach this in school. They used to teach this. When you, when you are finished with your meal, do not push the plate away from you. You wait for the server to come and take your plate. You do not cut your meat more than three bites. Anybody ever heard that? Two to three bites, that is the maximum. But you don't cut your entire steak into 17 pieces. You cut off two to three bites at the most, and that, that, that's all that you do. You never wipe your mouth with your napkin. Ladies don't wipe their mouths. They blot their lips with their napkins. That, 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 they used to teach this. 
Napkins are placed on your lap. When you are finished, you then lay the napkin to the left of the plate to indicate that you are done. If it is a formal dinner and there are a lot of forks, he will not know which one. He'll be watching you. You always start with the utensil that is farthest from the plate and you work your way in. You don't ever spit food into your napkin. You don't ever do that. If you are dining at home or at somebody else's home, somebody invites you to dinner, you never salt and pepper your food before you tasted it. That is an insult to the cook. They used to teach this stuff. Used to. Now, I know that stuff. I know that nobody lives like that, but I think our world would be a better place with more refinement in the world. When you are walking with a male escort, your husband or your boyfriend or whatever, he should always open the door and you should always enter the building first. Always. When you are walking on a sidewalk or a street, the woman should always walk on the inside, farthest away from the street. And if he doesn't know that, it is perfectly normal for you to very gently move yourself to the inside. Here's the reason why. Car comes down the road. You want it to hit him, not you. That's the purpose for it. That is actually the purpose for it. A man should offer his seat to you always on public transportation or a public building like a restaurant. However, you should offer your seat to the elderly, somebody who's handicapped, a woman who is pregnant, a woman who is carrying small children. You should do that as well. I have offered my seat on, a, on an airport transport when it's crowded and you come in. And I've offered my seat to a lady and she got offended that I stood up and offered her my seat. That means she's a feminist lesbian. That's what that means she is. She's a liberal. She's a Democrat. When you introduce yourself to somebody or you introduce other people, there are rules to follow. When you introduce two friends of yours who have never met, you use the last name. He may be Bob to you, but not Bob to them. So to him, he, to that other person, he is Bob Smith. When you're introduced to a woman or you greet a woman, you do not offer your hand to shake it. She offers her hand first. If she initiates it, then you shake her hand. Even coming up, just a little while ago, Sister Ernestine, you came up, and I said we greeted each other, and, and, but, but, but I offer, wait for her to offer her hand first, and then you shake her hand. That, that's adequate. Now, now, some of you have never heard this stuff. Some of you say, yeah, I, yeah absolutely. And, and here's all I'm saying is that grace and refinement gives you a good culture, but people are crash and they are vulgar and they're rude. I have, I have held the door open for a woman at a convenience store and she got offended and refused to go through the door while I was holding it. Fine, stand out in the cold. I'll go through myself. There's a world of difference in being a Feminist and being feminine. And here's what I'm saying. Be beautiful in your demeanor. Dress neat and comb your hair and clean your fingernails and be polite and be friendly and smile at everybody and flirt with no one. That's a godly lady. We used to have a girl here in our church. Um, some of you will remember this. She had an unusual talent. She could drink a can of hot Dr. Pepper and burp with the best of the guys. She could belt one out. Oh, that's funny. I've never had a guy say, you know what I want in a girl? I want a girl that can chug a Dr. Pepper and burp. He might be obnoxious and gruff. He don't want to marry obnoxious and gruff. 
So you learn it in your demeanor. But then secondly, you display that in your dress. There is something off about a guy who is enamored with his looks. There is something off about a guy who is obsessed with his clothes, his hair, wearing jewelry. There's just something wrong with it. I've been needing suits. I've been needing suits for a long time because mine had shrunk. And so I had to go get some suits. And so we went to men's warehouse. Here is how I shop, okay? I went into men's warehouse. The lady comes up to me and she says, can I help you? I said, yes, I need to buy three suits. I gave her the size. I tried the suit on. I said, that's it. It was a, I said, I want a navy blue suit. I want a navy blue suit. I don't want skinny. I don't want petite. I, I just want a regular navy blue suit is what I want. Tried it on. It fit. I said, I want three of them. You mean the same suit? Three of them. Same suit. I want three of the same suit. I will wear all navy blue suits because every shirt I have is going to match it. Every tie is going to match it. It's easy. It's simple. I go off to a meeting for a week. I only have to take one suit. They don't know if I'm wearing the same suit every week or every night or if I'm wearing a different. They don't know and I don't care. I want all suits. And so, so, so we did that. And then, and then last week I was in Kansas. In 30 years, I've had one preacher buy me a suit. And last week, the preacher said, I'm going to buy you a suit. He took me to this special suit store. And um, he was going to buy me a black suit. And they didn't have a black suit, so he bought me this suit right here. And then, because they didn't have a black suit, he went and took me and bought me a black suit at another store. And last week, he bought me two brand new suits. So I now have five brand new suits in my closet. I haven't even worn them all. I wore one blue suit about six times, and I'm going to, and, and, and what have you. It works. I was fine with just navy blue suits, but now I have whatever this is, and it's got some kind of little stripey thing in it, and I have a black suit for funerals and weddings, all right? And so there we go. There's something off about a guy that is consumed with his looks. There is something off about a girl who doesn't care about her looks. She is supposed to want to be pretty and want new clothes and have a whole lot of shoes. When my wife and I, when my wife and I travel, I will take one suit for every two days. She will take three suits of clothes for every day just in case. Just in case. Has absolutely no intention of wearing those things, but you just never know. She doesn't know what her mood will be, what she will be thinking that day. Will it be sunny or it doesn't know. A woman ought to be more concerned about her dress than men should, right? So 1 Timothy chapter 2, 1 Timothy chapter 2, come back to it if you would. 1 Timothy 2, look at verse number 9. In like manner also, the women adorn themselves in modest apparel. With shamefacedness, shamefacedness and sobriety. Not with broided hair or gold or pearls or costly array. Modest apparel. Can I help you? Yoga pants are not modest apparel. Short skirts are not modest apparel. Tight clothes are not modest apparel. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, man, we live in a vulgar world. And the way that people dress in public. I want to ask, did, did you look in the mirror? Did you mean to go out in your pajamas today? 
Listen, your clothing ought to be distinctly feminine and distinctly Christian and distinctly modest. And I know, I know tonight that I will never convince most of you that pants are not a lady's garment. I don't believe that they are. But you can't believe that yoga pants are modest. You can't believe that. By the way, verse 9 is the only time that the word modest shows up in the Bible. The word modest actually means moderate or moderate or or, or unpretentious. Come to 1 Peter 3. Come, come back here for a minute. For 1 Peter 3. I've, I've memorized this verse. But look at verse Peter 3. Look at verse 3. Whose adorning let it not be that outward adorning of plating the hair and of wearing of gold. Now some people have stopped right there and they said, all right, a woman should not plate her hair and she should not wear gold, no jewelry. Well, if that's the case, then she shouldn't put on a pair of leaves. Right. Yeah, that's exactly right. Right? Right. Yeah. Okay, are you with me? Whose adorning let it not be that outward adorning of plating the hair and of wearing of gold or of putting on of apparel. It's not saying that you shouldn't plate your hair and that you shouldn't wear gold. But, but don't be so flashy and gaudy that it sends a wrong message or draws undue attention to yourself and to your flesh. Now we don't have any girls in our church that has a problem with this. You can wear makeup, you can wear too much makeup. You can wear jewelry, you can wear too much jewelry. You can wear earrings, or you can have ten earrings in each ear and them run out of the room. Then you got to put them in your nose and your eyebrows and your lips, and you got to put them everywhere. Right? Then all we do is we see the ornaments, and it becomes a shameful distraction to the true beauty of a meek and submissive spirit. So make your clothing distinctly feminine. There is clothing that is masculine, there is clothing that is feminine, there is clothing that is neutral. A neutral article of clothing would be shoes. Boys and girls wear shoes. Hats or, or an overcoat. My wife and I both have shoes. I'm not wearing hers. She would never wear mine. Okay? We both have an overcoat. The difference is mine's not pink with a fur collar. So you can have neutral clothing, but there is distinctive look to it. That's why I never wear a pink shirt. I don't like pastels. I don't like soft colors. I prefer bold. My wife likes soft. There's nothing wrong with wearing a pink shirt, but I'd hate to wear a pink shirt and meet a sodomite and he get the wrong idea. I, I just, so I would rather just not do that. I'm not going there. Make your clothing distinctly feminine. Make your clothing distinctly modest. And I can't cover all the rules of modest clothing, but look in the mirror before you go out the door. Some things are just common sense. This is where you take a clip and put it on Twitter. Okay, I, I don't like I don't like when a girl wears wears clothing with writings across her chest, or skirts with splits that's going up her leg. I, I don't like that. I, I don't like halter tops and sleeveless shirts with big holes and anything that is see through. And if I told you really what I believe, you'd think I was really crazy. Have a high standard. Be conscious of how you dress and how you present yourself in the public. Your dress, your demeanor. So there's the priority of relationships. There's the priority of righteousness. There is the priority of your residence. Look at verse number five again. Back to Titus two. To be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands. I'm not going to preach this because I am going to preach on marriage and a lot of this is going to overlap. These are words to a young lady, whether married or not. And the Bible assumes the position that your desirable place is as a keeper of the home. I believe that you ought to desire to get married, to have children, to make your home your castle. 
And the world would be a lot better place if we had less women in the workplace and more mothers staying at home with their children. And that's just the truth. And I know that sometimes circumstances forces you into the workplace, but your heart ought to be at home. And I'm not preaching on submission tonight because it seems like that's the only thing that I've preached on lately out of Peter and what have you. But if you are still unmarried and you are thinking about getting married, you need to do it with this in mind. Can I submit my life to that man? Is he worthy of leading me? Can I follow him? Do not go into a marriage with your fingers crossed hoping it is going to work out. You have a right to test his character. And I'll give you a good indicator. How he treats the people around you right now is how he's going to treat you in the future. And you may never get married, but better to wish for singleness rather than to marriage to a man that's going to make your life miserable. And if his character doesn't test out, then you tell him, I'm not riding this bus. I'm, I'm riding with somebody else. I'm not going anywhere with you. So there are principles to convey. And then finally, there's a perspective to keep. Look at verse number five, the last statement. That the word of God be not blasphemed. The kind of living that I am espousing is good advertisement for the Christian faith. The word of God is blasphemed when the children of God live like the children of the world. When the children of God embrace the philosophies of the world, but... But what God wants you to do is he wants you to adorn. Adorn the doctrines of God and give validity to the scriptures. And God is honored. God is honored when you have the kind of character that is espoused in the Bible. A godly, a pure, a chaste, a cultured, a sophisticated, a graceful lady. That is a wonderful testimony to the church and to your home and to the world. And you can give a testimony without even opening your mouth. And just the way that you live condemns the feminist movement that is destroying our nation. There's a kind of life that marks you as different. It is truly a beautiful woman. Girls are different. Girls are difficult. Girls are expensive. Girls are emotional. Girls have baggage. Girls will test you. I could not imagine having six girls. No way. It's impossible. But I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you that a godly girl that loves God and loves her parents, loves Christ, what a treasure that is. And I believe tonight that we have girls in our church that want to be and are growing and to the godly ladies that God wants them to be. And thank God for our mothers and our wives who wield so much influence on the world through their home. I thank God for you and I commend you. And so tonight is not to say we have a bunch of burping, rude girls and you need to get your act together. I don't believe that. I sincerely believe that this is the kind of beauty that you want and that you already have to keep your heart pure. Stay in love with Jesus and develop strong convictions and you'll influence your world with a meek and quiet spirit. May God honor you and may God bless you and may God keep your heart hot for him. I commend you tonight and I'm grateful for you. Two weeks ago I was in a church. They had great young people. Great young people. 
They looked good. They sat on the front row. They were dressed nice. They participated in the service. They came up and shook hands with me. They introduced themselves. They had it together. And as I watched those young people that week, I said, there is only one church I know that can beat them. And it's you. And I thank God for it.